This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today my guest is drummer Jody Stevens. Jody was the member of the band Big Star, and from 1972 to 1978, they put out three very important records. Big Star was a huge influence on bands like R.E.M., Wilco, and Yola Tango. Jody continues to record and tour with groups like The Lemon Twigs, Matthew Sweet, Golden Smog, that includes members of Wilco and the Jayhawks. He also is in a duo called Those Pretty Wrongs with fellow writer Luther Russell. Jody works at the historical Ardent Studios in Memphis, Tennessee. Their history is rich, and they have worked with many different artists. That includes Isaac Hayes, Big Star, ZZ Top, Gin Blossoms, The Tours, James Taylor, R.E.M., Johnny Winter, North Mississippi All-Stars, The White Stripes, just to name a few. If you want to support the podcast, you can join our Patreon page at patreon.com slash workingdrummer. For as little as a dollar a month, you can have access to all our educational content. In recent weeks, we've been adding quite a bit of content. That includes a video from former guests like Bruce Becker. He did a video just for us. We also have a video from former guest Brian Zach, where he goes into how to improve your ride swing patterns. And recent guest Mike Malone has five transcriptions of some amazing drummers and classic performances that he has made accessible to our Patreon members. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can make a one-time donation through PayPal. You can find that link on our website at workingdrummer.net. So longtime listener and supporter of the podcast, Jimmy Allison helped make the connection with us to Jody Stevens. And uh, man, doing the research for Jody and Big Star and his work at Arden was just such a joy. It was a great reminder of the wonderful music and uh, often overlooked music that this great band did in the early 70s. If you're interested more in what Big Star has done and their impact on music that we listen to today, there's a great documentary you can find usually on YouTube, and you'll be surprised how much of their music you recognize and uh, just how uh, ahead of its time it was. So I encourage you to check that out. And big thanks to Jimmy Allison for connecting us with Jody Stevens. Hope you enjoy this conversation with Jody Stevens. Sometimes what we read isn't always what we sow. You know, one of the first things I want to ask you about is uh, I know that Ringo is a huge influence for you in like so many. uh, There's always the starting point that gets us inspired to start playing drums. And I know that for you, the Beatles and Ringo was probably the tip of the spear with that. And 
no doubt. Yeah. But I heard that you met him once, and I wonder if we could start off with a bang and just tell us that story of meeting Ringo. I uh, sure. I uh, yeah. I'll, I'll t- there's a, a little uh, story prior to that. Okay. You know, a record in Memphis with Chips Moment. There was a party after the completion of that record on a riverboat, and I was excited about you know possibly meeting Ringo on that riverboat because I got an invitation to do that. And, you know, I was up on the second deck of the riverboat and Ringo's walking my way and there aren't very many people up on that second deck. And I'm just getting ready to step out and introduce myself and somebody steps in front of me and introduces himself and his girlfriend or wife or whatever. And then I'm thinking, okay, never mind. And I turned around and 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 left because it was just, you know, that thing about you're you're meeting a superhero here and and uh and uh there's a bit of anxiety or something that goes along with it. And you just can't wait for the release and meeting that person and and uh then it doesn't happen and you go, you know, you're kind of spent after that. But yeah. I, I, I was a trustee for the Recording Academy. I was in Los Angeles for Grammy Week, and uh, there was a little celebration for Klaus and his nomination for his uh, record, uh, A Sideman's Journey, which he had recorded uh, a, a bit of here at Orton. So I got to meet him and, 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 and speak with him. And uh, so I was there, and there was a kind of a weird event, and, and uh Klaus couldn't attend. And uh, but so my wife Diana and I walk into this this room at the hotel. I think it was wasn't the Roosevelt, it was a hotel downtown. And uh, and we look around and and there's Ringo walking into the room with uh, with his wife and and Joe Walsh and his wife and his wife and and uh, so, you know, I'm we make immediately make a beeline for Ringo and ask for a picture and all that and introduce myself and and uh so get that done and then we go in and we look at the picture and we think, ah, oh, that's not very good. This is this is gonna be a, you know, it's one once in a lifetime sort of opportunity. And so we get a decent camera and we go back and and uh and ask for another shot at it and he said you know sure and and so we do that and uh and i you know i'd mentioned that i talked to him about you know how he was kind of the inspiration that had gotten me into music and and uh um so i don't know i do so we 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 get that done, and then Diana and I go on, and and you know there's there's uh, Van Dyke Parks there, and so we I introduce myself and, and Diana to Van Dyke Parks, and and he does this really nice little signature on something, and for Diana and, and we wound Van Dyke and 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 uh, Big Stars Third wound up working together. He wound up conducting the orchestra at a few shows in San Francisco. So that was awesome. <clears throat> and then I go to talk to Jim Keltner because Jim Keltner had worked at Ardent. And then Joe Walsh, because Joe Walsh had worked at Ardent. And uh, there's some stories there too. And uh, But anyway, so I'm walking back past Ringo. 
and Ringo's talking to Jim Keltner. And and I look over at him and Ringo looks up and he goes, hey, Jody, come here for a minute. Remembered my name. That was That's awesome. And uh, he said, have you met my friend Jim Keltner? And I said, yes, we, we talked earlier. Jim had done some work at Arden. And he, and he said, you know, Jim's the best drummer in the world. And I said, no doubt. He's a great drummer, Ringo, but you're the guy that got me into this. And he goes, well, Jim's the best and I'm the greatest. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, that's my Ringo story. And when I said, you know, I played with a band called Big Star, he goes, see there, you're a big star. That's awesome. But uh, yeah, that's my meeting with Ringo. And he was such a kind of a delightful guy to talk to. And you know, we love you to hear that because sometimes we're so afraid to meet our heroes and we've had experiences all, I'm sure all of us, we've been disappointed by the reaction we've gotten, or maybe the, our expectations were, were different than, than, than the outcome was. And, you know, you never know what kind of person you're going to get that day. So it's really wonderful to hear. And, and I've heard nothing but beautiful things about Ringo. And um, I've never met him, but it would be, it would be amazing, uh, too. Uh, tell me, can, I did not have this in my notes, but I'm curious to know um, your interaction or, or working with Keltner in the studio. Uh, was there anything about that that you can uh, expand upon? That was a while back. That was uh, that. I think it, it could have been for a shelter project, and it and that might have been Freddie King. I think, um, but not sure. And Jim. Jim couldn't remember the project either, but, uh, you know, whatever it was, it was in studio a with a group of folks. That's amazing. That's amazing. It's such a, such a, uh, like a, a player that drummers know a few musicians, but he's just under the radar in, in such a beautiful way. Uh, doesn't feel like, I don't know. He, he's, I don't know if it's just of that generation of his style, uh, his personality, but you just don't see a lot about Jim Keltner in just in just in general, but he's everywhere at the same time. I saw him play with uh, Neil Young at the Greek Theater. Mm -hmm. uh, and Neil happened. I, I'm pretty sure Duck Dunn was there. Duck was you know, obviously still alive and Spooner Oldham was on keyboards. But it was fun to watch Jim play because he was very balletic. I don't know what to just and in his performance is so smooth and graceful and and uh it was just you know it was great fun it was as much fun watching him as it was neil i I need to watch more more of him for sure can you tell us a little bit about ardent and uh, a little bit of its history you've been there since 87 i know your introduction to ardent studios was through big star in the early days and then uh you've you were looking for a, a reference uh, from the owner and called him up based on your you know, previous interaction, having worked with him with Big Star. And so you were looking for a reference for for job interview. And, and uh, I'm sorry, John Fry. Yes, John Fry. Yeah. So uh, then he said, well, we're, we're, we've got a position open. So. Uh, that is kind of the start for you is starting back early of 87 is when you started there. And I'm just curious to kind of know 
what your history with the studio is and what you what kind of what your job is there. Well, just a quick, you know, back up. John Fry, the, the studio's owner uh, and founding father, really, along with Fred Smith, who's founded Federal Express and, and John King. But that's another story. And uh, so Andy Hummel uh, took me over to Ardent and introduced me to everybody. And that was probably March of 70. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, the, the, Chris and Andy and I put a band together, a little three-piece, and, and then Alex came to see us at some point and joined in, and that's when we became Big Star. And then, you know, Big Star ran its course, and, and John was our mentor and, and brilliant, absolutely brilliant engineer and mix engineer. And, uh, you know, he's, he's why those Big Star records sound so bright and sparkly and, uh, and, and will be, you know, sounding contemporary forever. For sure. So, you know, had that experience with John and then Big Star broke up and I sort of hang out, hung out for a little while longer. So mid, maybe mid-1975, I went back to school. Uh, my major was marketing. And uh, so uh, I was on the 14-year program because I'd started in 70, got interrupted by Big Star. And, uh, and then I finished in 84 and then did a couple of, probably waited tables for a little while longer and, and did this full-time job uh, for about a year. And I, I, so yeah, he said, he called rang John up. He said, you know, come uh, interview and interviewed with someone else, actually a guy that was running this sort of corporate uh, ardent telephase or teleproductions actually. Hmm. And uh, at the end of the day, I don't think that guy wanted to hire me, but John, course being the owner overrode him and and uh, brought me on so he brought me on in a marketing capacity and because he wanted he wanted someone to go wave the flag for the studios uh in uh new york and los angeles and in nashville and and uh you know i'd go to austin once a year for uh south by southwest and and uh so that's and and you know john s- saw that Big Star had a profile amongst, you know, industry people, and that would be a plus for getting the door open with some of these A&R people. And, and it was, and then Big Star was a plus there too. So uh, that's what I would do. And we also uh, st- started a production company and developing local talent like John Kilzer. And, and uh, you know, John was a project that was produced by uh, Keith Sykes and, and engineered and mixed by John Hampton. And I was given the the, the demos and and kind of marched off to to New York and LA and wound up placing with John with Geffen. And then Tor Tor was the next one. So that's what I would do. I'd make the rounds, play these demos for people, and we would accomplish a few things by that. One is artist placement and we had a production company so we we'd participate in in uh, publishing and and uh, and the masters as well but also uh it we invariably wound up with the work at the studio and right. our engineer wound up with the work and the producer wound up with the work and that we did that pretty successfully for a while uh i think and i'm i'm guessing a lot of this stuff you were not familiar with when you first started, like they're just the broad 
uh, aspects of the industry and, and how it all worked from publisher to producer to like you had some experience in the studio. You had experience as a band member, uh, but just kind of putting those pieces together. Was there a learning curve in kind of getting to the place where they could send you to Nashville, send you to New York and, you know, kind of get those things, get Tora Tora where they needed to be to get to make the connection with the deal and all that stuff. Definitely a learning curve. Uh, and, and it was, but more about persistence, really, <laughs> like getting on the phone by my friend, Bud Scapa, uh, it was just kind of an iconic music writer and, uh, has a long history with big star wrote something for music connection in which he said, a lot of A&R people will, uh, measure the caller by how many times they call and just how serious they are about it. And so I thought, well, that's great. And so I, 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 anybody that I had to call more than once, I started keeping a tally. And I called this one A&R guy 25 times and finally in to see him. And uh, so it's, it's all about persistence. And then once you get into the, in the door and you're sitting in front of them about how to keep it concise and, and what the major points are that you really do need to make. And, uh, and then certainly my, my purpose there is, is artist placement. And uh, because the rest kind of studio time and engineers time, all that falls into place. And uh, so I'd get them to listen to the demo. And that was, then it was mission accomplished because I would never try to talk to anybody into signing a band, but I will try try I will talk them into having a listen, okay, and, and listening to the merits about the band uh, because it's a big investment, and you know it's their jobs on the line. You're 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 asking them to spend at that point in time, in the late '80s and early '90s, you're asking them to spend a half a million dollars. Right, but if you're there and you believe in the project just getting them to listen to it hopefully is enough for them to kind of see the light and say, Oh, now I know why you're here. Now I know why you were sent and you guys have spent the money for you to be here. Yes. Yeah. I had one A and R person at Geffen, uh, tell me, uh, Mio Vukovic tell me, he said, you know, I haven't signed anything that, that, that you brought to me, but I always enjoy the artist. Uh, <laughs> And, and hearing about the studio and I actually never got any studio time out of them. But, uh, you know, there's hell again, it's persistence and consistency and, and, uh, and in keeping with that, the last artist that I placed was, is a group called skillet and, uh, placed them with Andy carpet at, at what was lava, I guess. And, and then he went on to, uh, to Atlantic, but, um, he, uh, I'd play a skillet record for him and he'd really dig it, and, but it wouldn't be the one. Then the next skillet record come out, I'd make a, you know, another trip and, and have skillet in hand. And then finally I had uh, skillets collide album in hand. And, uh, and actually I didn't sit down in front of him. I mailed it to him and he called me and said, Oh, this is the one. And wow. so he was finding him. 
then I started questioning whether I should stop seeing people in person. And uh, because I had a success just mailing it to somebody, but it, well, that's just kind of kidding, really. And and but it, but it's really interesting to know about the time frame of how this stuff works, and because this is pre-internet. I mean, granted, in the '90s the internet was around, but not in the condition that it is now. So how business gets done, I think, oftentimes we gloss over the importance of that face-to-face, that human interaction then can can matter. And hopefully, you know, people are hearing this and they're like, well, I'm not doing A&R. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to work as a, as a drummer, as a musician, or, you know, in whatever aspect of the industry that they're interested in. But it still involves persistence. It still involves that honest human interaction that, uh, you know, opens doors for people because this industry is built on relationships. And one of the questions I had for you was your job is literally networking, which is kind of a dirty word, but it's the word. Uh, And so I just, if you have any advice or kind of speak to that, how that works in the industry, or maybe we've already covered that. Yeah, it's certainly about networking, but that was always kind of a uh, maybe frightening's a little excessive word because uh, then I would have to make an effort to network. To me, it was just going about making friends, and that's and then the attitude you take was with that is you you approach somebody like you've already met them. Yeah, you you never meet. A stranger, mm-hmm. and I, uh, and that seems to work pretty well. And if it doesn't work, it uh, that's okay. Doesn't I don't think it necessarily means that that person's a jerk, but it, uh, you know, sometimes it's not going to work, and you just have to accept that and move on. But I think what you're saying speaks volumes, like you're not there networking, you're there making friends. And if you take that approach, if you use that uh, kind of as 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 the strategy, that's when the most honest you, the honest person comes out. And, and that's when relationships happen. And that's when that's when things can can move forward. That's amazing. Yeah, I and, and, and really, it's important to, to engage people on what they're doing first. Mm-hmm what they're about and uh and and you know share what your story is and 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 what your purpose is but it's it's you know i i always enjoy hearing about people and and what they're up to and and um and what they're looking for really uh but and then you know then i can kind of then i can share what i have to offer and and once you've gained enough experience, then, you know, you have that much more to share. It's, it's, I got to admit, it's tough starting out. Um, and then it gets a little easier as you, you know, build friends. Right. And, uh, people can, people can count on their visit with you as being productive uh, and not, and not a waste of time because their time's pretty precious. You know, they and our folks probably have, you know, 200 people a day wanting to, to walk through their door and have a visit. 
but um, you know, given given my my position at Arden, which already had a great track record and, and a name for itself, and then having been in Big Star certainly helped get there. And then then not wasting their time once I'm there helps helped uh, my being able to keep going back. And also, I'd always have a new artist to shop, and that was really. Uh, I think critical in in their continuing to keep their door open to me because it's you can only talk about a studio so many times. And I think I think everybody kind of has an angle. Uh, for me, I, if if this is an inspiration to anyone, this podcast has been like an opportunity for me to interact and to grow a network of of friends and community in in a natural way that works for me. So maybe there's something uh, that people find an avenue and outlet. Uh, to kind of build that network and kind of gain experience so that it opens doors in one way or another. But one of the, uh, a question I had that was inspired by Jimmy, again, Jimmy Allison, uh, who's been a great supporter of the podcast, has uh, connected us and he's uh, got a few things that he sent my way. How did your skills develop as a musician translate to success in the music business? No, I think what I learned, it's doing your homework. It's, uh, you know, I, I try to play five days a week. It doesn't matter if it's 20 minutes or an hour or, but, and given that, th- then there's a work pattern that you, you, you make sure you do something every day t- toward whatever goal it is that you have. I, and the more kind of credibility that I built as a musician and I'm still trying to build that Yeah, because it's, I, uh, I mean, I, I love what I've done and, and I'm really proud of it, but for the most part, it's more about what I'm about to do. Yes. Uh, or doing and what I'm about to do. Uh, so yeah, you know, on the business side of things, the, the better, the better I felt about myself as a creative person, even though, golly, you know, for two and a half years, I kind of stopped playing. Uh, but at least at Arden, I was part of, you know, the creative process and these bands we were developing. I, uh, I, it just always tried to have some sort of story to connect with, uh, with folks and business and, um, I it always, that's a tough question. Well, it always seems like in the in the music business you have uh, business people that know a little about music, and you know you and you have musicians and creatives that know a little about business, and so there's this constant, you know, conflict of people that don't know how to do business and business people that don't know how to work with creatives, and so uh, it's I feel like. Y- you've been able to marry those things and it's it's served you well as far as being able to communicate with the business side of things and you know so that seems to be the way it it, it has worked out well for you another question i have for you is is if is there one thing you can point to that you've learned from john fry that you will always carry with you Whoa, yeah. I don't draw conclusions about things uh, on little information is one. I, uh, 
and as I go through life, I'm amazed at some people in conclusions that they draw on so little information. Um, that was a big one. I, you know, I always felt like I was pretty understanding. And then I met John Fry and he had this way of looking at things and, and, uh, and tried to understand them before, you know, making decisions or taking action. And, and, uh, but that was a good one. Uh, John was really methodical. He, uh, as an engineer, certainly you could watch him. Uh, prior to sessions, you know, he'd run through mics and and plug them in, and and uh, and you know, he had a checklist of things he needed to do. And I also saw it. John gave us all flying lessons in the early seventies. He was a he was a pilot, and he had an instructor's rating, and he had uh, he had a little si- single engine and a twin engine. Wow. Uh, and uh, so as 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 a pilot, you have a checklist of what you do and and how you test certain things out, and that would include not just looking at the gauge on your instrument panel, but it would include sticking a dipstick down into the gas tank just to physically verify that there's gas in the tank, because you know that gauge could be wrong. Mm-hmm. So, would do a walk around the plane. So, you know, having a method. To approaching something uh, and kind of a step-by-step thing is it was it was a big one for me, but I think I, t- I turned it into incrementalism because I figured out in life that if you if you throw something big at me, I, I I stumble with it, but if you break it down into parts, and I can accomplish things little by little, then you know I'm fine with it. Right. Um, you know, it's like moving a pile of bricks. You look at it and you go, I I can't move that as a pile, but I can move it a couple of bricks at a time. Right. And I think it's, it's really important with time management. uh, You know, most of us are considered self-employed and you have to manage your time in a very productive way without someone standing over you and saying, here's a list of things to do or do this today. And then I'll come back tomorrow with another task for you to do. If you are trying to work in this business, you have to manage your time. If you have projects coming up, a session, uh, songs to learn, things to write, you have to, it can be overwhelming. uh, And you have to learn to kind of have a checklist and go through it and do it. We go to Australia August 1st. Yeah. And there's a checklist that uh that i do every day and uh one is playing through songs but two is i I do vocal exercises on the way to work and on the way to work because it's about a 30 minute drive and i do them on the way home Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know not to mention well this australian trip logistics are taking care of us but the uk trip coming up in september we uh i have to book all our train travel okay and other things and merchandise but yeah there's there's always this checklist of being prepared and one thing about not being prepared in high school how i benefited from that from from not doing my homework well by the time i got to college i'd figured out that oh yeah 
and you'll feel better. You'll have, you'll be more successful at things. Uh, yeah, it's uh, life's much easier when you do your homework. For sure. For sure. Well, I've got three pages here of homework uh, <laughs> I've been working on. Um, well, uh, that's awesome, man. I, I want to talk some about Big Star. You've made yourself available on so many different platforms, uh, articles, podcasts, and it's been amazing. Uh, I discovered Big Star shortly after I moved here to Nashville. Their influence has resonated across the industry but living in a place like Nashville and working with so many different songwriters, it invariably comes up. And uh, it's it wasn't something I knew about right away in uh, Ohio where I grew up. But 23 years ago when I moved here to Nashville, I was exposed to a lot of different music that was very inspirational to songwriters and, and those. So that's that was part of my introduction. So first of all, man, it's a real honor to speak with you, and it's been fun to kind of go back into the catalog, uh, listen to those records again, uh, listen to the new stuff with uh, those Pretty Wrongs, uh, the the group that you're going over to uh, the UK and Australia with. That's been just to kind of bookend the stuff from Big Star from the early 70s and what you're doing now, and just kind of hear the progression and yet the connection at the same time. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah, I love it. It's been really fun to hear. Yeah. Well, thanks. It's uh, yeah. I mean, well, you know, it's it's you get you you walk into a project and and uh, you have a kind of a clean canvas, uh, and and you try to and in in our case, it's music, and you try to come up with a drum part that that fits all the surrounding colors and images and all that sort of thing, which is, you know, guitar parts and all that. And, uh, well, that was one of the questions that Jimmy had. And, and I was, uh, and I feel like it's something that I have not heard covered by you is kind of before big star, before you were in the studio for the first time, kind of your development, because Jimmy says on the first two records, especially the first one, your playing is so dynamic, especially for someone who was 20 years old. Uh, so when we started number one record, I'm sorry, say it again. I was 17 when we started number one record. Good Lord. Because we actually... We cut the first track prior to Alex joining the band, and that's Life is Right. Mm. Uh, so, yeah. Well, I mean, so we, we, we were just curious, you know, how did you come up with your parts? Uh, there's a lot of twists and turns in these songs. Uh, it's, it's, it's not straightforward. And so, uh, you know, we know that Ringo was an inspiration to start playing drums. But can you speak to kind of your development at at an early age like when did you first get a kit did you were you taking lessons uh you know was it just organic was it being was who were you listening to kind of what led to the point in which when you guys started recording those records that you were ready to go obviously there is development over the time of the of the recordings you can hear that but still right out of the gate there's just a lot of um dare I say, like Jim Keltner type dynamics and flow and, and, and composition, drumming in a compositional type of way. 
Wow. What a huge compliment. Thank you. Yeah. I, uh, well, you know, my brother and I got turned on to the Beatles and then the whole British invasion thing. And uh, we were lucky enough to, to field a band out of some neighbors, um, Wendell Wheat being one of them and, and uh, uh, Tom Eubanks and uh, doing British invasion stuff. And that's part of the development. And then comes Stax comes along in 68 and it what an impact on us. Whoa, I yeah, Otis Redding, Sam and Dave, and, and those songs, and uh, Booker T and the MGs, and Al Jackson. And so, Al Jackson was was uh, kind of a, a big influence there. And that that kind of reflects the progression. And there's a little studio here called Sonic that uh, Roland James ran, and uh, he, he played guitar for Jerry Lee Lewis back in the day. Uh, so you know, but he had a two track. So I think everything we did live. So that was actually my first studio experience. And then, you know, and it's all probably all those covers uh, that we've done. And you're building this, this kind of library uh, in, in your own personal hard drive, so to speak. And then, um, then we, we auditioned as a band for hair the first college production in, in, of hair and uh, passed the audition. And what, wow, I, uh, that was the first real kind of professional effort that, uh, although- were you, were you reading on that gig? No, I couldn't, I couldn't really read. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would just listen to the tracks, the album tracks, and uh, and just play accordingly. But you know, you always you all, you all you have your own personal feel and your own personality, and uh, so no matter how hard you try to to create what somebody else has already done, you you it, you know, there's always a bit of you there or as you figure it out over time. But, you know, we were rehearsing every night of the week. And uh, so I, boy, what a, what a huge uh, impact that had on me and how seriously I started taking it. Uh, Because, you know, all of a sudden this is, this is, it might be a college production, but, but the, the intent and 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 the the effort at going at it was was serious. Uh, this was a big deal. It was the first college production of Hair. The whole the whole city of M- Memphis. A lot of people were in an uproar about it because of the possibility of a nude scene and the you know drugs. And I'm getting off the subject, but at any rate, so this was a big deal. And uh, so we do we do two or three weeks of sold out performances and during which Andy Hummel comes t- to see one and, and approaches me after the show and asks if I want to come jam some with some friends, which wound up being Chris Bell and, and Tom Eubanks and, and Terry Manning. And uh, so did that. So I, I, I was, I was, you know, in pretty good shape, probably better shape than I'd ever been as a drummer. And uh, that all worked out well. Um, so I, you know, that, and so when it came time to sit down buying the kit in a studio and kind of create my own drum part, it, 
to an extent, I just let go. Okay. And responded to what I was hearing. And I was lucky that it was a song that I connected to and liked. And, and I had somebody like Chris Bell on guitar. And his guitar sounds and parts were amazingly inspirational. Andy Hummel, killer bass player. Uh, easy to play. We just connected. And that's a big part of it. Because you can't... I don't know that you can force any of these things. But the things that I did think about... You know, it always bring up Ballad of El Goodo, I think, is is okay, here's the basic feel. And 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 the way I entered the song was easy. Uh, because that's just what I felt. Um, and then I kind of felt my way along, and then I would I would do certain roles. And uh and here's the other lucky thing is it was I was able to develop with Big Star in a studio so we could we could record these things and could have a listen back and how it sounded sonically played a role in in in, in the parts i'd create and then i'd get to hear the the part the actual part and go oh wait a minute maybe this is a little better if i do it this way or or maybe as the song goes on i progress the the drum rolls a little bit and uh but it but I, I would always do that with some sort of, okay, I'll just feel my way through this and get to it. But again, I was lucky because I could go back and listen and go, ooh, and make adjustments. And Yeah, that's an, ama- that's an amazing thing. And at the time, there's a lot of people that didn't have that luxury. But we just have to remind ourselves we have that luxury now. We can record ourselves, listen back, and develop in that way. Uh, that that's amazing. Are are you familiar with the uh, drummer Steve Eby? He's from oh, Memphis. From Memphis, yes, great yeah. drummer. Yeah. yeah, yeah, amazing drummer. So, uh, good friend. Uh, one of the uh, when I first moved to Nashville, worked at Forks and got to know Steve. And uh, I remember bringing in one of the first recordings I ever did with a band in Nashville, and I wasn't happy with it. And I was like, "Can you listen to this and critique it?" And he he said, "Well." Have you considered that maybe he says, I think you sound good. Maybe it's the other musicians around you in this recording that's making it sound awkward or sound not sounding the way you want it to sound. And I never considered that. You know, I was just so hypercritical of my part and where I was feeling and how the pocket felt. My point is you had these musicians that were all it's it's this, you know. The planets align. You think of John and Paul meeting. You think of the way you guys all came together. There's this, every once in a while, the planets align, and you find the musicians that just all think the same and feel and create the same. And you guys had that. And especially at an early age, that's that that's just beautiful. And, and it sets you on a course for the rest of your life to know this is my voice. This is what I want to create. And and it's reflective in in the recording of those pretty wrongs that I'm hearing, you know, as well. Yeah, I was getting chill bumps as you said that. Because, oh. uh, yeah, again, I mean, Andy and Chris were incredibly ins- inspirational. We had Ardent to record in, so that just sonically was awesome and then alex joins in and and you know he and chris start writing these songs that 
that I, I'd so connected with, you know, along part of the, of the Beatles and all that, I'm thinking that this is, uh, wow, what an incredible opportunity. So immediately I had these, these three really inspirational musicians to play with. You know, it's like anything, it's sports and stuff. If you play with people that are better than you, then you get better faster. Yeah. So I was I was lucky there. And I was also lucky that I didn't really have anybody standing over my shoulder and saying, oh, do this and don't do that. So there was no nobody ever said anything that created any sort of self-doubt about what I was doing. Or, or that created any doubt about my role and what I was doing. Um, and, you know, I, again, I could, I could have a listen and sort of self-edit and, and, and bring things around. And it's just, you know, I'm draw, draw, always drawing on past experiences and, and even better yet is how does this feel, you know, and, 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 you know, you can always go from there, but, I uh yeah I was lucky um in that regard that uh it was always we were always free to try things and um you know it's like um uh now I'm drawing a blank on the word but it's this spontaneous impromptu or uh improvisational theater yes you, you never introduce anything negative because it stops the, the creative flow of, of what you're doing. So your and, drumming was like, yes, and? Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and so, and it was that way with all of us, I think. It, uh, so, yeah, grateful. It, that's, you know, that's the ideal circumstances to well, and, and, and I would argue it was the Wild West when it came to, you know, drumming as far as uh, rock and pop. And, you know, it, it, we're, we're still developing that voice. And, and there were no rules, and not that there are rules now, but I think people conform to these rules uh, in a way that for these unspoken rules now, it's like, well... You know, Bonham did it this way, uh, Ringo did it this way, whatever. And so we're all pulling upon that. But it's like those guys, their inspiration were jazz drummers. And it was just the very beginning of that. And when you guys, when you were coming up and you were recording, there was a handful of amazing drummers to pull from, but not that many, not as many as there are now. And so you guys were just, you were, I, I would argue you were creating art more than anything else like because there weren't genres as definitive as there are now well thanks yeah a lot a lot of well drummers i pulled from we we talked about ringo and, and al jackson but but uh, uh charlie watts yeah. whoa what what a gr great inspiration that guy is still is and bj wilson played kind of orchestrally i think these with Procol Harum. Uh, that was that was pretty cool, you know. Certainly, but John John Bonham, if I didn't mention, yeah, 
I got to see Led Zeppelin in 1970 here at the Mid South Coliseum, and you know they 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 mixed uh, Led Zeppelin three at Ardent. I learned that. That's amazing. And I must have gotten my ticket from Terry Manning and uh, his connection to them because we were all on Andy and Chris and and I were all on the, like the seventeenth row watching them. So he was Bonham was like 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 a not a booster rock uh he would count off but he on and, he would and count off, but say that again well bottom would you know you count off and then and bottom would start it, it was every you know page and plant and and john paul jones were kind of holding on that's amazing that's amazing and, what an opportunity you know, and kind of rising to that energy. So I don't, you know, some pretty killer drummers to. Uh, yeah, I, I, I want to I just want to cover a couple quick things, uh, not to keep you too much longer. But uh, a lot of people were introduced to Big Star when it was used on as the theme song uh, for that 70s show. One of the songs. Did anything change in your world when that happened? No, it. uh because it was they they you know that initially they were session players and studio folks that uh recorded the song and uh they retitled it to that 70s show song and uh you know it's interesting they <clears throat> they took part of uh i think um you know and and to to place that hey We'd love to do this, but we want a certain percentage of it, and and that they did, and and I think everybody's line of thinking, well, Alex and Chris wrote it, and then John Fry was was the publisher along with uh, East Memphis Music or now Universal, but nobody ever associated it with Big Star. You would have to know that was a Big Star song. It didn't, and and here's evidence of that. I, uh, you know, I played in Golden Smugs. So that's another um, question I had is about that group. Yeah, Jeff, Jeff and I uh, have that in common. And so when Wilco comes to town, you know, I know all those guys are all sweethearts and, and uh, I, I will join in. I'll sit in on a song and usually it's in the street or and uh, a box full of letters now. And uh, so at any rate, my wife's out in the audience. Uh, and we finished playing in the street and somebody behind her says, why, why did Wilco do that 70s show song? <laughs> so that didn't really, you know, that changed. Uh, Chris, uh, Chris Bell and Alex Chilton's financial world a little bit, uh, but it didn't really have an impact on the band. Yeah, I just I was just curious, just curious about that. But going to Golden Smog, that that's kind of a super group. Uh, that came up in conversation with a drummer out of uh, Minnesota, Noah Levy. I don't know if you know Noah, but I know he worked with them originally or, or uh, at some point. Yeah, whoa! I I love the way he plays, and and I love the fact that he left the band, but. To put another band together, a primary band, because Golden Smog was everybody's secondary band. Uh, but yeah, I, I love the way he plays. 
And uh, so, yeah, I uh, Noah was leaving and uh, I get a call from Maggie McPherson, uh, the band's manager, and it, probably 90, 1996 in December or could be November. And she's saying, hey, I, the guys in Golden Smog are interested in, in you joining the band. Would you like to join the band? I said, well, who's in it? And she listed off everybody, you know, Jeff and Gary and Danny and Craig and and Mark. And, and uh, I said, well, sure. Sounds great. Yeah. Boy, really excited. And, uh, and then she said, well, the first step would be we fly you up here. They're playing. Uh, uh, oh, Susie, um, Jeff's wife managed Lounge Axe in Chicago. I think it's the name of the venue. And they were playing there New Year's Eve and there two nights, actually, uh, the 30th and the 31st of December. And I flew up and sat in with them on the 30th and all that worked out. And then we went into the came here at, to Arden to, to, to track start tracking the record and spend a week. And then a year later we came back and uh, tracked another week. So that's how that got started. Yeah. Um, you know, you just, you, you show up, you do what you do and, and uh, hopefully you connect with people along the way and, and uh, you know, they give you more opportunities than that they did. And that's we just, Golden Smog just, a year ago, April, we got back together in in, in the lineup that included me and uh, uh, played um, First Avenue in Minneapolis, April 1st and 2nd. And uh, that was just another incredible experience. It, it's been interesting to hear you talk about playing every day and your philosophy, your standing philosophy is just being involved in music for the fun of it and and not as a pursuit financially and just making sure that it's always fun. And throughout the years that we've been doing this podcast, when I come upon uh, a musician, a drummer, that kind of makes sure that they always are grounded in this idea that music should be fun, music should be an experience, have these really amazing gigs really amazing experiences with artists that we all love and revere. And I, I feel like you're the poster child for that. There's all these really cool projects that you've been involved in uh, over many decades. And although you can look to Big Star as just an amazing place to start and to kind of launch that perspective, you've found other ways to express yourself. Uh you know, individually with other projects, whether it's, you know, briefly working with Matthew Sweet or the Lemon Twigs. Uh, there's there's this great stuff that's that continues to happen, I think, because you hold on to that initial philosophy. And I, I don't know if it's because you have, you're affording yourself to do that by, OK, I've got this day job, but it's in music. It's at the studio. So I'm still feeling this. I'm still doing it. I'm still earning a living. But I'm not going to lose this connection with drums and all this stuff. So that's I, I, there's no question here. <laughs> I have no question here. We all want to belong to something. Mm -hmm. That's just my way of, of, of feeling like I belong to something. 
I mean, certainly I feel like I belong to Arden, but there's nothing like the interaction of, uh, of, of people on stage together and, uh, and how we count on each other and, and how we're inspired by each other. And, and that's the, uh, boy, you just get addicted to that. And that's what, that's what keeps me playing. And is that interaction with, with other musicians and that experience on stage, the experience with the audience and that kind of support that you get. And, and, uh, and that kind of, that just mutual love and, and joy with, with that moment that you're all together. It's, that's what kind of keeps me going back. You know, when Luther, Luther and I were still trying to build an audience and, and, it's certainly not about money for us. It's, but it is about, you know, con- continuing to have a platform for writing together and and uh, and sharing that. And um, oh, we get to promote our record in Australia and England, and it's in and it's about the relationships there because we kind of hit it off the with BT at Love Police Touring in Australia. I mean, it's all about relationships. And that's, that's Just to bring people up to speed, we've been talking about Those Pretty Wrongs, the project you're doing, and you're getting ready to go on tour with uh, Luther Russell. And uh, so, yeah, that that's, you, is kind of a newish record that you guys have. Holiday Camp, our, our latest release, came out March 31st. Yeah. So you guys take off uh, August 1st. Is that right? Yeah. And, uh, and we arrive Australia. We arrive Melbourne August 3rd. It, uh, we kind of lose a day, but we make it up coming back. Yeah. Uh, we, we arrive and uh, I think we start rehearsing the next day. Because uh, I think there are a couple of musicians joining us, uh, a bass player and a drummer for because we'll do, be doing a few big, we'll be d- doing like a 30 minute set, I think of some big store things okay. and it, doing holiday camp from start to finish with just Luther and I will do that together. And, and uh, we'll play some other pretty wrong songs and then, uh, uh, and then do a little big star set and have those other players join us. That's amazing. Have you been to Australia before? I have. We did a Big Stars Third Live uh, show there that you know includes uh, Mike Mills and uh, and it's Chris Damies, the mastermind of all that, and the instigator. God, what a brilliant guy he is! Um, and and the North Carolina ten- contingent, uh, Django Haskins and Brett Harris and Skylar Gudez and uh, some other folks that kind of flew down. So we were there, you know, I, I flew down to Australia, had a day, we rehearsed the next day and maybe the next day played the next day and I flew home the next. It was a long way to go to have a good time, but it's, you know, it's worth it. Yeah, I did. I just got back from Canada yesterday and it was uh, zero. I call it the zero sleep tour. Uh, we were in Ontario one night and then Calgary the next day and it was Literally finish the show, go to the airport, check in, and then fly to Calgary and try and get a nap in the airport before sound check. It was just, but it was worth every moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
that's uh, that's that's why we do what we do. Yeah, yeah. Is there anyone you're listening to these days that's been inspiring uh, a drummer, band, artist, anything you can think of? Oh, the Lemon Twigs, certainly. Uh, yeah. Will Coke, I'd love listening to Glenn Kochi. Um, but, uh, you know, Michael D'Addario, I'd, I'd love to watch him play drums. Mm. Of course, I, he, he and Brian both are kind of multi-instrumentalist. Uh, so we'll call, I, you know, the Jayhawks uh, got a missing, I know I'm leaving somebody out that's incredibly, a few people that are incredibly important. Uh, Robert Hitchcock's record. Uh, the Lemon Twigs has been, a, has been a great introduction and in just kind of digging into what you've been doing. And that's been a fun discovery for me in preparing for this conversation. Yeah, I, I thank you for that. That's been that's been great, man. What what a couple of talented people for sure. Yeah, they joined us on stage for uh, we did number one record live in Los Angeles, and they came and joined in, and uh, we actually did a Chris Bell song. Um, got kind of lost with them, and uh, oh, uh, your life is life is white from Radio City, did that with them. And um, yeah, and then they joined us in uh, in Jersey City as well. Gotcha. Well, man, listen, I, I'm going to let you go, but I, I thank you so much for your time. Uh, I have really enjoyed doing my homework for this. Uh, it's It was hardly work at all. I, I, I listened to a lot of interviews. I listened to a lot of music. Um, I have a, a couple... Uh, I've got two sons that are really into Wilco and, and I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on some of the other bands that, um, were so inspired by Big Star. It was such an inspiration to just share what you guys, you know, what you, what you did on those records to, to be able to share that with my sons and say, I know you love Wilco. I know you love these other groups and stuff like that, but I want you to hear the band that inspired them. And I just, I just know it's going to resonate with them. Um, but again, it's, 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 it's just been, it's expanded my world and in just such a beautiful way. And I, I just, I thank you for taking the time and speaking with us. I got, I'm glad you're interested, Matt. I, uh, it's always a pleasure uh, to talk about music, but, uh, and when, when talking with you has been a lot of fun. I can't, uh, I'll, I'll knock on your door when I come to Nashville. I'd like to meet in person. Yeah, that's always, uh, always welcome, man. Keep in touch. And if there's anything that the podcast can do for y'all, uh, please don't hesitate to reach out. Thanks so much, Matt. I appreciate it. Take care. See ya. Bye-bye. So there you have it. My conversation with Jody Stevens. Again, big thanks to Jimmy Allison for helping us make that connection. I encourage you to check out the music of Big Star. It is amazing, as well as those pretty wrongs if you need more. Stay tuned next week for Zach Albetta's interview with drummer Lucy Ritter. She did some touring with the production of Jagged Little Pill, the musical, for a few years and just left to move to L.A. So that should be great. Check that out. But for now, everyone, thanks so much for listening. Stay sane and hope to see you around. Bye-bye.